was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was
Lord, that your love is always amazing. Father, we can never reach the length, the depth, or the width of it, Father. And so we're thankful for it this morning as we come to you in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. Um, we're grateful for you to join us. Week six of online services. Um, we've made it. Um, so I'm grateful to share God's word with you this morning. Um, if you want to start by turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, I'll share a funny story. Um, Bryce obviously has been doing his kindergarten school work at home, and we've been submitting it through pictures. And so the teacher has been recording teachings and then posting them. And so the one morning she said, you know, I see a little bit of sloppiness in some of these cursive, cursive names in your handwriting. Bryce gets this shocked look on his face, and he's like, can she see me right now? <laughs> and, and me and Mel chuckle, but I'm just telling you that I can see you if you're not turning your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 15 uh, right now. I told Jim DiBiasso for the next three weeks that I was going to be preaching through the book of Exodus. He joked with me and said, you're going to preach through the whole book um, in three weeks. And I laughed and I said, no, we're just going to cover some time from the Red Sea until the consecration at Mount Sinai. Um, but first, let me ask you this question. You ever been in a season in your life, a difficult time, just a challenging season where maybe you've had a rough moment with a child? Maybe you had a job that you just can't wait to change or switch and work has been really tough. Maybe you have a financial situation that just has left you strapped and tight for cash and it just seems like you're never going to get free of it. Um, maybe you just have had some difficult seasons with family members or friends and things that you wish to change. And then finally in life, you kind of get a break from it where you start to see that you're headed for a clearer water. The choppy seas are, are settling down and you're headed for more smooth sailing. You know, it's like you're headed out of the development and you've hit all the speed bumps and you're ready to hit 95 and just hit it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, kind of unexpected, you hit another speed bump. Uh, it never fails for us that sometimes after tax season, we're really excited because we've got our tax refund and we got our money and we're going to have this nice little lump of change and we can finally do something that we want. You know, we can buy uh, maybe just something that's a luxury or a pleasure item or maybe we can take a vacation. And then all of a sudden, you know, I need four new tires on the van or I need a new hot water heater and all that money that I had great plans for and ambitions for are just all of a sudden eaten up. Uh, maybe you get out of a situation with one child and one behavior issue is passed, and then all of a sudden it's the next one that rises up. Or maybe you escape a job and you get a new job, and then all of a sudden a couple weeks into that job, you're back to same, some of the same stresses and frustrations in life, and all of a sudden it just seems like it's never going to get any better. It's just going to be speed bump after speed bump, obstacle after obstacle, and you really start to ask the question of what is going on here? You know, is God just really angry at me? Is this God's way of punishing me? Is this God's way of trying to teach me a lesson that I need to learn? Why can't I just coast on by? Why is it challenge after challenge, obstacle after obstacle? If you've ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, I wouldn't recommend it from a, theolo a theological standpoint. Uh, but there's a line in there where Jim Carrey, he says, you know what? Just, oh, smite me, almighty smiter. And sometimes in life it feels like that, right? That the hand of God is just pressing down on us and we just have, must have done something wrong. But is that really the case? Is that really true? Is that why the obstacles and the things in our life, are they just God's way of punishing us or torturing us? I want to talk about that this morning and I want to, say, I want to open the word in Exodus 15 and look at that. Because if we look at that and we understand the nature and the character of who God is, that's the opposite of what he is doing. And that in those trials and in those obstacles and in those hard things and in the speed bumps of life, 
that if we'll press in and we'll turn into God, that we'll find his abundance, his love, his care, and we'll find a closeness with him in that season. But first, I want to give a little backdrop, right? We have 15, what's going on in the 15 chapters prior to where we are at? If you know the story, um, you know it well that the Israelites were led by Joseph um, into Egypt, and they had lived in abundance there as Joseph was in rule and reign. But once Joseph passed away and a new Pharaoh took over, he didn't take so kindly to the Israelites in the land. In fact, the Israelites became slaves to the Egyptians. They were the ones that were required to build the bricks and construct the buildings, and they retreated just as slaves would, would have been treated. And so Israel was desiring to be free from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptian captors. And so God raises up Moses, as you well know. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Moses is kind of unsure, like, God, really, you want me to go set the people free? I can't even speak. And so Moses, God gives Moses some sign. He gives him Aaron to speak for him. He turns the Aaron's rod into a snake. He turns his hand leprous to just to show that God is with him. And so Moses finally works up the courage to approach Pharaoh and to set Israel free. And we know that Pharaoh at first has some hesitations and some resistance, and Moses has to go back time and time again till eventually where the plagues come. You're familiar with the ten plagues, the frogs, the boils, the gnats, all of that. Um, and just this constant fight of Pharaoh saying yes and then saying no, and God sending the plagues on the Egyptians. Until finally Passover comes, right, where the blood of the lamb is painted over the doorposts of all the Israelite families, and they are spared, but the Egyptians suffer the loss of their firstborn sons. Until finally Pharaoh ceases and says, you know what, go. You know, flee, take your people, take your gold, or take our gold, go, and just leave us. And so finally the Israelites have won their freedom and they're headed out of the land of Egypt. Until kind of the next day when Pharaoh comes to his senses and is like, wait a second, who's going to do all of our labor? Who is going to work for us? How are we going to manage and get by? And so he says, he works up his army, he says, take off and go recapture them and bring Israel back to us. And so we find Israel at a place of the Red Sea with two mountains on the side and a, and a sea that they cannot cross and the Egyptian army closing in on them. And so what's going to happen? What is God going to do? And we know that Moses stretches his arms out and the Red Sea splits and the Israelites walk across on dry land. And as the Egyptian army takes off in pursuit, the sea comes crashing down and the Egyptian army is swallowed up and the Israelites have seen this great victory. If you'll read right now in Egyptians, the first part of Exodus 15, you'll see that they're singing a song. It's the first song that we kind of see that Moses and Miriam are singing and they're rejoicing, right? That their God has hurled their enemy into the sea and they're singing a song of his salvation. If you've ever seen pictures of maybe after World War I or World War II where the people have taken to the streets and they're celebrating that the war has finally ended, I imagine that this is what the scene is like for the Israelites. They are, this is a celebration, right? They have won their freedom. They are now free to be their own country, their own nation, and no longer under the hand of Pharaoh. So then what's next? What's next for them? What are they expecting? You know, because they celebrated this victory, but now they have their family, their whole family, all of their friends, and, and no land of their own. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to turn to next? And if I am them, I have in mind what God promised to Moses in Exodus 6, 6-8. And let me read that here to you. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians, 
And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so if I'm the Israelites at this moment, it's like, yes, this is the time, right? This is the time when we're going to enter the land. We're going to where God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is a time of smoother sailing, of easier times. And so now we'll pick up in verse 22 and see what happens and where God leads and what is going on. In Exodus 15, 22, it says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And so we kind of see that they are now journeying through the desert, and they've probably taken up a storehouse of water, you know, from the Red Sea, and they've traveled on. But after three days' journey, water's kind of essential and necessity. When you're traveling with all of your family, you have all of your belongings, you have all of your possessions, you're just looking for a drink at that place, at that place in time. You want a chance to restore, to replenish, and to just carry on and move on. And so they come to a place without finding any water. And how many of you know that whenever things get tough or whenever supply gets low, right, our faith gets short? Martin Luther says when supply is short, faith goes. Is that when we start to lack and we start to become in need, our faith kind of starts to dwindle a little bit because we're like, what's going on here? And so in verse 23 it says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And now great, what are they going to do? Without water, no chance to replenish or renourish. Their livelihoods dependent upon water. It's not like water was just a luxury like steak. It was kind of essential for surviving. And so what were they going to do? And I think you don't have to be a Christian for long, or maybe you're not even a Christian watching this, to experience this moment in life. That in moments in life that we come to a place where the things are just bitter, sour, frustrating, and aggravating. Maybe you haven't been a Christian very long, but it won't take you very much where you'll be led to your own, what they call your armara moments, where life is just bitter. Things didn't go as you planned. Things didn't go right. The situation didn't turn out as it should have. Have you ever been there? Ever been bitter about something? You had a situation go wrong with friends or coworkers that you're bitter about? Something didn't turn out right? And you're just sour at your life situation. Maybe it's like three cha- or a couple chapters later where we see this word bitter come up again in the life of Naomi. And Naomi herself and her family had to take refuge in the land of Midian. And as they were there, at least she had the comfort of her husband and her two sons and their wives. And at least she had her family, right, in this time in a foreign land. But as the story goes, we know that her husband passes away. And so maybe she could take some solace, right, I've lost my husband and I'm in this foreign land, but at least I have my sons and I can have my grandchildren and I can have my family. But then, all of a sudden, her two sons die, and that is now stripped from her, and all she is left with is her daughter-in-laws and no, ch- no grandchildren. And she finally gets to the place, she says, you know what, you might as well just call me Mara, because my life is bitter. And maybe you've had that circumstance, and maybe you've been there, and you can probably pinpoint exactly what it is in your life, where it just seems like the things didn't go as planned, and just the hardships, the difficulties, and the frustrations of life have mounted up, and where you're just kind of like, come on, God. What's going on here? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And you just want to say like Naomi did, my life is just bitter. And maybe it's just the life happenings. But what about when God leads you to the Mara? What about when the season that you find yourself in wasn't because of just circumstances, but it's actually because God led you there? Because if we remember, right, that it was Moses that was leading the people, but it was God leading Moses, and Moses was the one that led them to this place where they couldn't drink the water, where the water was bitter, and it wasn't for them to take. What do you do in that case? 
How do you respond when God leads us to the Mara moments? How many of you know that we can learn a lot by watching what other people do do and do wrongly? Um, and so we're going to take a look at what the Israelites do did and what we shouldn't do. And so the first thing we see in verse 24, the Israelites say this. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And so the moment that they come up against hardship, they have just seen the victory. They've just seen God save them from the Egyptians. They've seen the whole Egyptian army surrounded and swallowed by the Red Sea. And now they come to a hardship three days later, and they're ready to grumble and complain and say, what's going on here, Moses? And I'll be the first to raise my own hand that when challenges come, when obstacles come, when hardships come, the first thing that I want to do is mumble, grumble, and complain. Oh, come on. Can this really be going on? I don't got time for this. You know, I got other things to do. I got more important things. God, can't you see? And I want to mumble, grumble, and complain just as the Israelites had done. And we've all probably said it and we've all probably heard it, but we say, I say it to my kids often is, what's mumbling and grumbling and complaining actually ever going to do about the situation? You know, you can mumble and grumble all you want, but guess what? It didn't change the water from bitter to sweet. You know, that flat tire that just happened to inconvenience you, you can mumble and grumble and complain all you want. Guess what? It doesn't fill your tire with air. It doesn't change your financial situation. It doesn't fix your marriage. All it does is actually probably put a distance between you and someone else or just causes you to be more aggravated and frustrated and just puts you in a worse spot than actually fixing the stuff. But if we dive just a little bit deeper and we take a look at what our grumbling and our complaining and our mumbling really is, we actually really see that it's a condition of our own hearts and what we expect and what we think. Because when we're grumbling, what we're really saying is, God, I really don't deserve this. I really, it really should have turned out like this. This is what I deserve, and this is how it should have went, and we're just angry that it didn't go according to our plan and what we wanted to see happen. And so our grumbling is really just showing our hearts of like, you know what? That didn't match up with what I thought it should be like. Tim Keller said this week in a sermon, said, people don't want a God that's a king. They want a God that's a president. Someone who owes them because they chose him. Someone who will explain things to them because they have a right to know. This is why Jesus had to come to us. Because on our own, we never would have come to him. The Israelites here thought the same thing. They thought that God owed them something. They thought that, you know, we, wanted to treat, we want to treat God like that, you know. If you don't do what we want or if you don't act according to our plan, we'll just vote you out in four years. We don't like the fact that there's a king and a lord that rules and that reigns over us and that is, in, is over us. We want to have some type of control. We want it to go according to our plan, according to our will, according to what we think we deserve. And so they start to mumble and complain. And point number two is this. They automatically turn to Moses, and who do they complain against? They complain against Moses. You ever been there, too, where there's always got to be someone to blame? There's always got to be something to pinpoint it on and to lay, make them responsible for? Always an excuse. Always a place to outlet the frustration and, you know, to hold someone else accountable for it. But also, they were looking to Moses here, right? They were looking to a man. Just as they were under Pharaoh's reign and ruled, once again, they were once again back turning to man and looking to Moses. Lord, Moses, what have you done? Why have you brought us here? And they're complaining to him. But this is a time and a season in the Israelites where they are now being led by God. They are no no longer under Pharaoh's rule and reign. And God is over them and in control and the one leading them. And so, I want us to be cautious about where we turn in our Mara seasons and what we do. If we can't mumble and we can't complain and that doesn't do anything about it and we can't lay the blame on someone else, what are we to do? Then what is the proper response? What is right? 
And if we just look one verse further, we see that from Moses. It says this, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And so what does the first thing Moses does in a moment, in a situation, in a season that he can't do anything about? Moses lacks the ability and the power to change bitter water into sweet water, into drinkable water. And so what are we to do in the moments when we can't do anything about it? It's outside of our control. It's outside of our power. And we're just in that life where it's just sour and bitter. I would argue that we need to do exactly what Moses did. He says, you know what? He didn't look to find some solution amongst himself. He says he cried out to the Lord. He pleaded to the Lord. He entreated the Lord in prayer. And so what are you to do in your situation, in your season? Exactly that. You are to take it to the Lord in prayer. R.A. Torrey says this about prayer. Prayer is God's appointed way for obtaining things. And the great secret of all of our lack in our experience, in our life, and in our work is often the neglect of prayer. Is that through prayer, we have access to an abundance of riches, to the depths and to the knowledge and to the wisdom of God. We have access through prayer. It's not just something that you might want to do if you're in a tough situation. It's not just a recommendation of something that may just help. It is our access to the Father that when the seasons and the times and the hardships in our life get difficult, that we can connect and communicate to God through prayer. What did Jesus do when the crowds became too much for him? What did he do when the cup became too much to handle, too much for him to bear? It says that he went and he got alone and he went to the Lord in prayer. And if Jesus the Son had to talk to the Father in prayer, it's all, I would reckon that we too, in our moments of difficulty and trial, need to take things to the Lord in prayer. And I'm not talking these weak sissy prayers where like, well, of course, you know, God knows what's going on and he, he's understood and of course I've prayed about it. I'm talking getting down with your, with your wife or your family or getting down beside the bed and just praying and pleading the Lord and entreating the Lord and saying, God, I need you to step into this situation. God, I can't do anything about this financial situation. Or Lord, what do you want me to do about this job? Or Lord, how do you want me to interact with this family member? Or what do I need to do with this problem child? And you entreat the Lord and you pray and you ask God to give you wisdom. And you listen for the answer. And then you follow his instruction. What does he say in Matthew chapter 7? Ask and it will be given to you. What does it say in James 4? You have not because you ask not. Now listen, James also warns you have to ask with the right motive. Right? You can't just ask for the wrong motive um, and expect God to ask. If you have to Ask God in prayer according to his will, according to his purposes, and to his pleasures. And if you ask and if you pray according to that, God's going to be faithful to answer. How do I know? It says this. The moment that Moses cried out to the Lord, does it say, you know what? God said, I don't know what to do, Moses. Uh, figure it out. Or does it say that God was silent and was like, well, you know, that's just what it is. Deal with it. It says this. The Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Because if one reality is true, that there's Mara seasons in our life, that there's bitter and sour moments that we find ourselves in, the other point is true is this, is that God meets us in those moments. And that God shows up into those moments. Just like he did here. He took what was bitter and made it drinkable. Some argue that it was like this. That bitterness was a resemblance of what it was like to live under Egypt and to live under Pharaoh. And now their life with God was now made sweet by what he did is that God shows up in your Mara moments. And this just isn't something true for the Egyptians. It's true throughout the Bible, and it's true for us today. How do I know? You might think, you could probably think of lots of moments that were bitter or that were frustrating or that were sour, but the most bitter 
moment of your life isn't something that happened to you, isn't a life experience. It's this, is your sin and your alienation and your separation from God. The most bitter thing that will be tasted in this life was your own sin and being alienated from the one that you were made for. And so what did God do about that? Right? We know that God showed up on the cross and that he nailed himself to the cross and his blood was shed to meet your need and to justify you and to set you right and to make you right before God. And he was able to take the bitterness of your sin and turn it into the sweetness of his redemption. And so if he's able to take care of the most bitter, sour thing in our lives, guess what? He's able to enter your situation right here and right now and do something about it. What did he do for Naomi and her bitterness? We know that they go back to the land of back to the land of Israel and Ruth starts to work the fields and then Boaz takes a liking to her and then Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer and God redeems that situation and now Naomi is provided for and she finds provision in the hand of Boaz and her kinsman redeemer and that's the God that meets our needs that's the God that enters our seasons and that's the God that takes the bitterness of our life and turns it into the sweetness of his redemption he did it for the Israelites and he does it for us And so we continue on in verse 26, and it says this. It says, There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. And we start to see the real reason and the real purpose and the real thing behind why God had led them to the moment of Mara. It was to put them to the test. You see, this was the people that were getting familiar with learning what it was like to walk under the lordship and the kingship of God as opposed to Pharaoh. And this was a time of trying and testing where God was showing himself that he was going to show himself out on behalf of the Israelites, that he was going to be faithful to them, he was going to make a covenant to them, and he was going to commit himself to them. And would Israel respond? Would they acknowledge him as Lord? And so it says this, he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and you do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And so we start to see this forming of a people that God has created for his own purpose, for his own glory, and to which he is going to demonstrate himself through. On the other side of it, the Israelites had to As Jeff read this morning from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, they had to trust and acknowledge the Lord in all of their ways. They had to be faithful to his demands, to his decrees, and commit commit themselves to his will and to his way. And in promise and in return, the Lord says, I will protect you from the things that afflicted the Egyptians. I will spare you from them. I will keep you from them. And I will be the God that heals you. You see, the Egyptians found themselves in that situation because Pharaoh wouldn't relent. He wouldn't bow to God, and he refused to give himself to God. And so God struck them with the plagues. And so he's telling the Israelites here, he's saying, you know, you don't just to get free rule and reign to do whatever you want. You can't treat people the way that the Egyptians treated you. You can't just do whatever you want. That you have to abide, that you have to be obedient to my will and to my way. And if you do, I will protect you. I will heal you. I will be the God that heals you. And so it closes like this. If we read verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. If you're wondering, it is true that Elam Bible Institute, where I graduated from, derived its name from this verse right here, but it is not why I picked it for our text this morning. 
Um, and I don't want to play too much into that there was 12 springs and 70 palm trees, other than the fact that this place of Elam was an oasis. And it was a place where there was an abundance and there was rest. And on the other side of the Mara moment, if the Israelites had trusted and they had been obedient and they had turned to God, where God will always lead is to his abundance and to an oasis where there is a depth of him that which you cannot exhaust. And so where I want to turn us to this morning is this, is that when we feast upon the Lord, when we drink of his cup, when we eat of his bread, and when we know that in the Mara seasons, would we trust and obey, and would we cling to the Lord and know that he is walking us through it, and that in those seasons, he's not against us, he's not punishing us, that he's actually for us, and that he's drawing us unto himself and making us to himself a people for his own, a royal priesthood, right, that he's calling us out, and that on the other side of that, there is an oasis and a riches of an abundance in the Lord. What does it say in Psalm 23? What? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. He leads me beside the still waters. So if we trust and we obey and we walk with him and we're obedient in the Mara and in the bitter moments of our lives, he will lead us to the oasis, to the abundance, to the sweetness of his gospel. And so maybe you're listening this morning and you can identify with that. You're stuck in one of those hardships where life just seems bitter. It just seems like you're never going to get free and it's obstacle after obstacle. I would encourage you this morning to trust the God that shows up on your behalf, the one that has died on the cross for your sins, that has nailed your sins to the cross and walk in his glorious day, that he has risen and shed his blood for you and walk in that victory. And would you pray? Would you pray? Would you access the Father and listen for his direction and his instruction? Just as he instructed the Israelites on what to do and how to follow him, he will instruct you in this season. Maybe today this is all foreign to you. Maybe your life is bitter and you've never tasted the sweetness of God's redemption and his forgiveness and what it is like to walk into fellowship with him. Today, would you surrender your life to him? Would you say, you know what, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of seeking healing from every other thing. Lord, because it doesn't just heal. I'm tired of being broken. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired, God, of exhausting everything that I have and still finding no cure. Would you turn to the God that heals you? I want to close with this story um, before Derek comes to lead us in a song. My brother, two Decembers ago, was playing with our kids and throwing them on the bed at his house and he did something to where he had hurt his back and my brother being the stubborn man that he is he was like I don't need to uh, I don't need to go to the doctor I'm fine it's going to be alright it'll heal itself in a couple weeks so a month later we saw him started walking like this like he was a 75 year old man in pain it's like Brad you should really go to the doctor you should really do something uh, about that now it's fine it's fine it's fine Two months later, same thing. We're walking through the Christiana Mall as they were here. Just, and I was like, my goodness, should we get you a wheelchair? Are you going to be all right? And then so eventually after six months of walking in this pain, he decides, you know what, I better show up at the doctor to find that he's got, you know, slip disc and he needs things shaved in his back and he needed to have surgery that put him out of work for 10 weeks. What's the point? It was finally when he got to the point of admitting that he was in need, that he recognized that he needed some healing, and that he was in a place to say, you know what, I need to go and seek out care, that he was able to find the healing that he needed. And the same thing reigns true in our life. What did Jesus say? I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. 
I didn't come to heal. Healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the one that are sick that are in need of healing. And so the access sometimes is through admitting this, that we are in a bitter moment, that we haven't always gotten it right, and that we are in need of healing. And when we're finally able to confess and to admit, guess what we'll do? We'll seek the healer. And there is a God that heals you. What does he say in Exodus 15, 26? I am the God that healeth thee. And so would you turn to him this morning? And would you trust in his will, in his way, in his instruction? And so would you join us um, in closing in song as, as Derek sings? our heart's prayer and our heart's desire, right? Oh, for the grace to trust him more. In these times where it's aggravating and we don't know what's going on amidst COVID and, you know, what's going on with our jobs, what's going on at home, what's going on with our school. God, would you give us the grace to trust you more that you're in this and that you would lead us to the abundance and to the oasis and to our Elam, to where we can be refreshed. Just wanted to say thank you for all of you that have faithfully given um, and that have done outreach and reached out to friends. I, I love watching everyone interact on social media and loving on each other. And we're just thankful for all of those who have continued to sow into the ministry, into the life here of Emmanuel. Um, and we just pray that we would be back soon. And that's what we're trusting. And so as we close this morning, let me end in a benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Go in his peace 
and experience him this week. In Jesus' name, amen.